How to lead and fundraise effectively during challenging times. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Dr. Elizabeth Searing. Elizabeth is an assistant professor at the University of Texas, Dallas, where she teaches on a wide range of topics involving the philanthropic sector. She also researches philanthropy, which has led to her co-authoring the book, Resilience and the Management of Nonprofit Organizations which Elizabeth has co-authored with Dennis Young. And Elizabeth, thanks so much for being with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. And always look forward to opportunities for our professional pathways to cross. Elizabeth and I uh, have been at AFP events together in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I had the privilege to speak to some of her students when I was in North Texas. Elizabeth, why this book? What led you and Dennis to, to write this book? Well, even before the pandemic, Dennis and I are, are always active in the community in addition to teaching and research. And it had just become a situation where we noticed these themes coming up kind of again and again and again. And uh, this was a fixation almost on efficiency and survival. So uh, when we teach about the nonprofit sector, about managing in the nonprofit sector, um, uh, we notice that there's a lot of talk about uh, cost effectiveness, about making sure that we have low overhead so that we don't destroy our rankings, um, about we, we can't possibly have profit because we are nonprofit. And we've noticed that a lot of these uh, sayings and kind of truisms were actually hindering our health as organizations. So if you don't have, if you don't allow yourself to have a surplus at the end of the year, then that means that you don't have any savings set aside for a rainy day. And I mean, as, as everyone that just went through the last few years knows, we, we can have not only rainy days, but rainy years. And so we've noticed that nonprofits were increasingly more vulnerable because we're expected to be. There's this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that we are not supposed to have any of this cushion, any of this space. And this really hinders us, not only as organizations, but in our ability to actually serve the people that we want to serve. Plus, this means we have no space to innovate. We have no space to make sure that our staff can engage in staff development. And so we really wanted to kind of change this paradigm. And I think going through COVID and seeing how much we had to accomplish as a sector with a, you know, a, an extremely limited amount of resources was what kind of really incentivized us to get all of these thoughts down and push back in an organized way against this kind of efficiency mindset and shift our focus more over toward resilience as a management paradigm. Elizabeth, if I'm understanding you correctly, kind of at the very start, there has to be this understanding that crises do happen, crises will happen. In fact, if we think about the COVID-19 pandemic, what we then learned is there is a pandemic like this about once every century, about once every 100 years or so. Uh, and, you know, so it's something a crisis should not surprise us. And of course, there are other crises as well. It could be that a, a tornado unexpectedly hits my town, the major employer shuts down, wildfires, other natural disasters. So these crises come in all shapes and sizes, a great recession, of course, uh, not all that long ago. So it sounds, if I'm understanding you correctly, that we need to understand that crises happen. And then therefore, and importantly, and this leads to a key theme in your book, we need to prepare. Could you amplify uh, that for us, please? Well, I think that is true. And I'd like to even move that a little bit further in that not only do crises happen, but 
we exist a lot of times because there are things in the world that we feel shouldn't be that way. So it doesn't have to be a world-changing crisis or a recession or anything like that. We exist to push back and help others get over their crises. So like we we are I don't say we want we're at home in that area, but but there is there's always adverse conditions and that's one of the reasons why we exist. And so I think that in order to really thrive in what is our chosen environment, we are we are here to be the 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 solutions architects and the warriors. Um embracing resilience is really important. And I think that you kind of hit on a key to that just now about making sure that you are prepared. So have so one of the one of the themes of the book is, you know, have plans. Now, life is not going to follow plans. We we know this whether we're talking about a pandemic or whether we're talking about just making sure that, you know, we uh we we hit our target date. Um but in planning, you have a lot of those hard questions and hard conversations that it's better if you don't have to start them in the middle of the crisis. So one of the things that we found was that in the pandemic, organizations were kind of slimming down their programmatic offerings to kind of the core programs that made them really feel like they were uh, in line with their mission. And so those are really hard conversations to have because you have to decide what is in and what is out and so having those kinds of conversations about where your program portfolio is in relation to your mission is much easier in non you know uh, crisis times than it is in the middle of the actual crisis and so doing as much planning you know whether it's flexible budgeting whether it's setting up stress tests all of those things are best prepared for before the crisis uh, than having to figure it all out during the crisis um, but then you also need slack um, so pushing back against that efficiency mindset, it's not something we expect for-profits to do. Um, if you look at uh, for-profit contracts, uh, there's always R&D built in, there's always a profit margin built in. We generally don't get any of those in our contracts, um, but we still need to innovate and move forward and try and provide more to more people. And so making sure that we have the slack is one of the things that we kind of is a thread through the book for each one of the different management topics that we touch on. And then having that slack gives us the opportunity to learn and really kind of move forward, figure out what works, involve our stakeholders, get fresh ideas. And that's really kind of the key to having this resilient and robust sector moving forward. At the fundraising school in our signature course, Principles and Techniques of Fundraising, we teach a budgeting method that is designed to wind up each year in a surplus. And Eric Dauber covers this for us in our most recent version of our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. And, and Elizabeth, this can be a foreign concept to a lot of nonprofits that of course we want to be efficient. Of course we are want to be great stewards of our uh, dollars from our donors and, and from our funders, but it's okay to build in that slack, as you say, uh, for our general well-being. It can be used for research and development, can be used for a rainy day, can be used uh, during a time of crisis. What are some of the other themes? Uh, preparation is significant. What are some of the other themes that you and Dennis cover in the book? Well, just to, to kind of go back to something you just mentioned, sure. being a great steward isn't at odds with 
being uh, from pushing back on efficiency. Um, because when we start thinking about um, trying to maximize efficiency today, like we don't want to put anything into savings because we want to provide, you know, as many meals as possible today. It's not that putting it in a savings account is less efficient. It's that by putting it in a savings account, it means that we can serve 20 people next year instead of the 10 people right now. And so I think that's also one of the elements that we cover in the book, and that is shifting away from kind of the now-centered mindset, because quite naturally, we want to help as much as we can right now. But also thinking about the future and how making sure we've got some of that slack means that we are more likely to be able to provide for our cause in the future. And that's just not the way that we are trained right now because we're called to the nonprofit sector to make something happen right now and to improve people's lives. And so thinking about it over time is really kind of a, another element of that reorientation that we push in the book. So plenty of important themes in this book. And Elizabeth, one thing that I really respect about your work, you truly are a pracademic. You're discovering new knowledge, you're teaching that new knowledge, but you're helping us apply that new knowledge. And this book has a lot of practical tools for people to utilize. Can you help us understand that part of the book, please? Sure. It was really important to us to be extremely practical and useful in this book. And so we included a lot of examples and tables and ideas and everything. We wanted this to be the toolbox for organizations that were looking for ways to, to be more resilient. So it'll make you think. There's, there's definitely uh, areas of the book that are designed to, to help you think about the conversations that you need to have and think about the plans. But there are also those checklists and tools and things like that. And so my I would say a couple of my favorite spots in terms of actual practical hands-on stuff. Um, uh, it, one is chapter 11. Uh, so chapter 11 is called Red Flags and Stress Tests. And it is all about all of the different things and uh, systems that you can set up in order to make sure that you are in a good monitoring space before the next crisis hits. So we have a table in there on how to talk about these types of things at uh, board meetings. So it gives you kind of this itinerary for how to do this monthly monitoring at your board meetings. Uh, there's also a very large list in there on different indicators, like actual accounting indicators that you can use in order to monitor how things are going, including not only, you know, use these indicators, but what these indicators mean, what you should be looking for, and where you can find the information, which I think is really useful. Um, and then there is an, uh, a couple other chapters. So uh, people in our HR chapter called People and uh, Resilience, uh, that's chapter eight. There are, there's a list that I found really fascinating uh, in helping put that together on alternative payroll reduction strategies. So basically, what can you do to avoid letting people go? Because that was the one thing that really everyone that we talked to didn't want to do. That was like the absolute last, you know, last thing was to any to ever let anyone go. Because in your nonprofit organization, especially if you're a smaller shop, Everyone is family. Everyone there is a part of the team. And so you were always looking for a creative way to, you know, to make ends meet, continue to deliver services, but not let anyone go. And so we provide a literal list of ideas of all of the different things that you can do instead of actually letting people go. And then throughout the book, at the beginning of each chapter, and then through the chapters are all, uh, there are vignettes 
which are just short kind of, I hate saying Reader's Digest because I feel that that dates me. And so then I would say Cliff's Notes, but then I feel that dates me now as well. Um, uh, these, these little vignettes of different organizations that when uh, we were uh, researching this book, we found that they had uh, particularly good examples of how they employed some particular theme, whether it's human resources or technology or their balance sheet or um, any, any of these different strategies. We, and so we take those vignettes and we put them throughout the book so that you can actually see examples of how these organizations got through the pandemic um, and think about how to apply that on your own. Plus, what I like is that they're real. So a lot of books will be, you know, a hypothetical case study, you know, whatever, uh, which is nice. But these organizations, if you read this and you say, hey, this nonprofit bookshop found a way to pivot by doing X and you really like it, you can go look up that nonprofit bookshop and find out more about them, find out more about what they did and who they are. And so it allows us by using actual real life examples that you can go and find out more on your own. And we can just kind of mention it and kind of sprinkle the breadcrumbs uh, for you in, in the book. This book has so much to offer, prepares our mindset, for crisis and times that we need to be resilient. It helps us create that organizational culture in our nonprofit organization to be able to prepare for and deal with uh, challenging seasons. And the book also gives us many of these practical tools uh, as Elizabeth just gave us a general description of a few of those that are available in Resilience and the Management of Nonprofit Organizations, Dr. Elizabeth Searing, uh, co-authoring the book with Dennis Young. And we're so grateful for Elizabeth joining us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Now, we have courses across the Fundraising School that teach a wide range of fundraising and leadership skills, including how to lead and fundraise during times of crises. Uh, you can earn four certificates uh, from the Fundraising School. We can bring these courses or parts of the courses that we knit together to you in tailor-made fashion through our custom training. And by the way, our courses, we can be in person, we can be online and live, we can be online and recorded in the United States, anywhere across the world. We also have our quarterly webinars, these free podcasts, and I mentioned earlier, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, which you do receive free of charge uh, when you register and complete principles and techniques of fundraising. Where do you find all of this? On our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Again, I'm so grateful for our guest today, Dr. Elizabeth Searing. Our producers today are Mike Anthony, and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjukavich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.